Welcome in, my fellow mentally diseased apostates. <laughs> At the time of this recording, happy Mother's Day to all of the ladies listening out there. The most important job in the world. And I personally don't even think it's close. So welcome into another episode of Surviving Paradise, that show where we discuss all the wonderful elements of the spiritual paradise claimed by Jehovah's Witnesses, the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, and the governing body, Jehovah's chosen men here on the earth. I wanted to start out by saying again, thank you to all those folks who've been reaching out since I started this little podcast. I really saw it as almost a cathartic exercise. But as I mentioned in past shows, I really got to a point after being out of Jehovah's Witnesses for 13 years, where I really felt like I needed to give something back to help other people, even if it's just one person. And so each and every one of these episodes, I hope to delve into a topic, share some stories, some experiences, going to have some guests on, starting to line that up a little bit. And it really just kind of dig deep, not only into who and what Jehovah's Witnesses are, which is teaser here, a cult, but also into what makes them tick and hopefully try to heal some of the scars and experiences, those that we can. Some are absolutely devastating for those that have left that quote unquote organization. So this week, I wanted to talk a little bit about the faithful and discreet slave. Now, if you're someone who is just digging into Jehovah's Witnesses, that may seem like kind of a bizarre phrase. It literally colors absolutely everything Jehovah's Witnesses do. It is a phrase taken from the New World Translation, of course, the Jehovah's Witness Bible, and it is from Matthew chapter 24, verses 45 through 47, also seen at Luke 12, 42 through 44. And yes, folks, shocker, before we get too deep into this, and if you're a Jehovah's Witness listening, really, really give this some thought. Both of those scriptures that Jehovah's Witnesses have really based their entire religion around, justifying their power and their decision-making ability and, and actually using this to claim their the group identified by the Almighty God in heaven, should you believe in God, as the one and only truth, the one and only true leadership here on the planet Earth. They've been using those verses really to justify that since 1919, Jehovah God, through his son Jesus Christ, appointed them to lead his people, and that salvation absolutely depends on you following each and every thing they say. There is no variance. There is no room for you to be a critical thinker. There's certainly zero room for you to question what you hear from the quote-unquote faithful and discreet slave. And I thought it would be fun to unpack just some of the things that surround that term because literally every emotion, every thought, every decision that a Jehovah's Witness makes is heavenly, heavily, excuse me, heavenly, heavily influenced by this one consistent claim. And they use it as a hammer 
meeting after meeting after watchtower, after book, after study, after meeting, after convention. Jehovah's Witnesses literally, by means of the governing body, and we'll get into that, the faithful and discreet slave, spend entire hours, weeks, days supporting and reminding you that they alone have all the authority to tell you what to do. In all the earth, only the faithful and discreet slave, as mentioned by Jesus at Matthew 24, because he was clearly talking about Jehovah's Witnesses (laughs) when he said those words, only they alone are dispensing truths from the almighty sovereign Jehovah God. Any deviation or any disagreement with the faithful and discreet slave So at the time of this writing, at the time of this recording, I should say, is now identified as only the governing body of Jehovah's Witnesses. Big change, folks, from those of us that have been associated with the Witnesses for decades, which consists of roughly eight men in upstate New York. Any disagreement, any deviation with what they say or do or what they instruct you to think or to feel or to do will result in you being labeled as an apostate and shunned, possibly losing everything, most especially family and people that you love. Because again, they alone are blessed by the God in the heavens with insight into spiritual matters. So I thought it would be fun to unpack this for a few minutes and really take a look at this claim regarding the faithful and discreet slave. And I want to mention just a quick history For decades, the faithful and discreet slave were identified as all anointed ones. If you're new to Jehovah's Witnesses, that's the 144,000 that is out of nowhere taken literally in the book of Revelation as the one and only group of people that are going to heaven to judge all the rest of us and all of mankind. For decades, Jehovah's Witnesses taught that all anointed ones, all heavenly people, on this earth, men and women were part of the faithful and discreet slave. And then suddenly, Jesus, out of nowhere, decided in 2012, during the annual meeting for Jehovah's Witnesses, that, that all anointed ones were no longer part of the faithful and discreet slaves, despite the fact that they've been claiming they were since 1919 when Jesus personally chose this group. Nope, that had changed, and it had just become eight guys in upstate New York. So keep that in mind as you take a look at this. Even as you're a witness and you're listening to this, it's entirely possible that you're thinking, oh, what's this guy talking about? I think it's important before we dive into this because it really is the cornerstone of Jehovah's Witnesses, their belief pattern. Everything centers around this. It's important to note, and I'm going to say it very bluntly and boldly, that at least 90% of Jehovah's Witnesses don't study. And that may be offensive to someone that's listening to that, but just be honest with yourself. And even for those of us that were witnesses, some of us that were elders that were used in high-level roles, (laughs) for lack of a better term, I, I can't tell you how many elders I served with that literally had oversight in life and death matters in a congregation who never even read the Bible, much less never studied their own literature. So if you're a Jehovah's Witnesses and you're listening to this, you may think, oh my God, 
this guy's talking about the faithful and discreet slave, and no wonder he's an apostate. He's an evil person. Just know that the faithful and discreet slave has really changed faces over the years from everything from all people going to heaven at one point to just Chuck Russell himself, Charles Taze Russell, was the faithful and discreet slave. Then it became all anointed again. Then it, it back in about nineteen seventy one, you had the implementation of the governing body. Yeah, that'll shock you, won't it? If you're not familiar with your own history, governing body really wasn't named such in capital letters till seventy one, and then more recently in twenty twelve. Again, I just want to interject here, and I'm sorry I'm all over the board. This is a this is one of those that drives me nuts, as you can tell. Uh, it, during this time as a kid, I was always thinking to myself, wait a minute, wait a minute. The faithful and discreet slave, they're, they're in charge of this organization. So I was growing up in the 70s, 80s, 90s. And I thought, well, that means, that means women, sisters who claim to be heavenly. And by the way, most of the people that I knew growing up that claimed to be going to heaven as the anointed that were part of the faithful and discreet slave were women. I thought, why is it that women never get to speak as to policy in this organization or they're never elders or ministerial servants? Nope. They can judge everybody else from the heavens, but God forbid they actually be a book study conductor on Tuesday nights. (laughs) So yes, Jehovah's Witnesses listening, there's going to be a ton of sarcasm. I can't help it. And you will see why. I will tell you that... In 2012, when suddenly the faithful and discreet slave, their most important doctrine of Jehovah's Witnesses, switched from all people going to heaven, which is an absurdity into itself, to just eight guys in upstate New York. If that doesn't raise a red flag in your mind, I don't know what will. But let's take a shot at it. Okay, shall we? So we're going to take a look in a really, to be honest, kind of a surface way at this doctrine of the faithful and discreet slave. And we're going to look at it at a different angle. Remember, it's claimed that those verses in Matthew 24, 45 through 47 was a prophecy that Jesus was talking about a bunch of people in the 20th and 21st century that were going to become absolute rulers in the heavens for all eternity. Okay, so, you know, he's up there, he's in Jerusalem, he's talking to his apostles. Guess what? There's going to be this special group, Matthew 24, 45 through 47, right? Jehovah's Witnesses or anybody listening, please read those verses in any Bible. Read them right now. Okay? That is not a prophecy. It's what we call a parable. (laughs) It's a parable. He was not prophesying about some special group that was going to print billions of watchtowers. Not true. It's a parable. Shocker. They took a parable and turned it into a prophecy, pointing at themselves, claiming, see, we say so, so it's true. Look at these verses. There is nothing about Matthew 24 that is even remotely referring to a group of guys in Pennsylvania or New York that were going to lead us throughout all of eternity. It is a parable. 
And if you examine it closely and you look at ancient literature, I know, study, it's important, considering this is all life and death, you will see that Jesus was most definitely talking about Joseph from a more ancient story from the Old Testament, not referred that during Jesus' time, but from the story of Joseph. Compare the text. It's a parable. The witnesses have long taught that the faithful and discreet slave extended from 33 CE to today, to Pentecost. But as I mentioned, that changed. Jesus changed his mind. Now it is only the governing body of Jehovah's Witnesses. At one point, the governing body itself wasn't even started till 1971. So yeah, you're probably naturally having a few questions right about now. Okay, if I do the math, who was the faithful and discreet slave from uh, 1919 when Jesus chose these guys to 1971? Uh, We could go further. Who is a faithful, discreet slave from 33 CE and Pentecost up till 1990? Not explaining. Don't look behind the curtain. These guys say so, so it must be true. They've taken a parable out of Matthew 24 and turned it into a cornerstone doctrine that has literally affected, damaged, and quite literally destroyed the life of millions of people over the last century. Millions of people. It's truly staggering. We could take this apart piece by piece and and ask some very natural questions like, why does Jesus change his mind so much? How did this group of guys take a parable and turn it into a prophecy about themselves? There's a lot of questions, but I kind of want to take a look at a couple. Despite all of these massive discrepancies, I encourage you to set aside all those important facts and focus on what I would consider, lack of a better term, a spiritual side of matters. It's irrelevant at what point we lived on history's timeline. It's irrelevant. At that time, strict obedience in this belief was demanded. You must accept this. And you not only must accept this, but you must tell other people that they too must accept it through the preaching work or else they're all going to die. (laughs) Doesn't matter what decade or what time period you lived in. It wasn't enough for people to believe the claims I'm about to share with you, that most importantly, that they were the authority, but they were required to tell them to others. So you can see at what depth this doctrine goes. And this is just one shot at probably many episodes where we're going to talk about this one. But make no mistake, despite seeing Jeffrey Jackson get on the stand during the Australian Commission where they were caught hiding pedophilia and child abuse, well over a thousand pedophiles in Australia, despite Jeffrey Jackson getting on there and lying and trying to wordsmith his way out of this doctrine that they were, in fact, the ultimate authority appointed by Jesus himself from 1919 onward, it's in print. It's in print by the billions of pages. If you go to a meeting, if you go to a convention, if you go to an assembly, 
the faithful and discreet slave, and of course now more focused solely on the governing body, never mind all you other anointed folks going to heaven, the eight of us are smarter than you. (laughs) Despite that, it is the cornerstone of every meeting, every belief. If you go to leave Jehovah's Witnesses, they don't ask you if you stopped believing in Jehovah. They don't ask you if you no longer believe in Jesus Christ as a king or as a savior. They almost always ask you one critical question. And that question is, do you believe that the governing body is God's authority here on the earth? That's the question. And if you waver on that, you're an apostate. You stand to lose everything. You'll be shunned excommunicated, disfellowshipped, any word that you want. That's how important this doctrine is. It's irrefutable fact. Let me give you some examples, just in case you're listening. And again, I think it's at this point that I really want to say, and I'm sorry for being all over the board, there's so much to tackle here. But if you're a Jehovah's Witness by some odd chance and you've stumbled onto this podcast, or you've you feel as though you've been entrapped in something evil, please, please listen. You do not need to go find this podcast. You don't need to go on Amazon and look for apostate books or dodge apostate websites to learn any of these truths. Please, please listen to what I say next. All you have to do is read your own literature, period. You don't need an apostate mentor. (laughs) You don't need to seek out that disfellowship person. You don't need to do any of that. Just read your own literature. That's it. It's all right there. This whole idea of a faithful and discreet slave led by eight guys in New York called the governing body now since 2012 will crumble before your eyes. It'll crumble before your eyes. It's that simple. You don't need all this other stuff they try to fear monger you with. You just need to read your own stuff. And you might be saying to yourself right now as you listen to this, well, yeah, I'd like to, but I noticed the Kingdom Hall Library, uh, the, the shelves are bare. <laughs> Folks, there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. There's a reason you can't get a Revelation Climax book, a reasoning from the scriptures book. Why would you ever need to mothball light or truth from Jesus Christ himself? Ask yourself that. Why would you need to mothball it? But they have. They've ditched books, hidden books, no longer available, out of print, Anything on Revelation is a doozy, a doozy, and a lot of fun to read because you want to know what kind of acid these guys were dropping when they wrote it. It's unbelievable. So again, if you're listening, seek it out. Find your own literature. You don't need this podcast. You don't need apostate websites, all the fearful stuff they tell you about. Just read your own stuff. And let's be honest with ourselves, as a Jehovah's Witness, 90, 95% of people don't read their own literature. The elders I served with didn't read their own literature. 
And you, you think that's a high number. It's not. About 90% don't study. About 5%, in my opinion, these are all my opinion, okay? Take it or leave it. 5% study the watchtower and underline it with a beautiful highlight pen or their books or watch a Caleb and Sophia video. The other 5%, they study in depth and you know where they are? <laughs> They're hanging out with guys like me. They're out. <laughs> That's all it takes if you're a Jehovah's Witness. Study your own stuff. Okay, so getting back to this idea of the faithfulness of the Greek slave, which will take episode upon episodes to unpack, looking back at the history of how they took a parable and turned it into a prophecy. Let's just take their word for it, shall we? Their claim is that the faithful and discreet slave was chosen by Jesus himself. That's right, the Jesus Christ, he was up there in heaven and he was looking around. He was looking around. He said, ah, oh, these guys, these guys right here. Look at this guy. Look at this, this Charles Taze Russell guy. And it, I, I'm going to put this, this Joseph Rutherford guy in right behind him. And, and, and then we'll get into, you know, some Nathan Knorr and some Franz and, and some Henschel and all these guys. But the critical piece is to go back from the beginning, correct? Wouldn't you agree? Let's say we're sitting next to Jesus and he's out there looking around and he says, these are my guys. These are the guys that I'm going to choose to take my people throughout all of eternity. And now remember, before I get to where I'm going with this, the faithful and discreet slave, aka the governing body, they're the same people now since 2012, have ultimate authority. Let me give you some examples. The Watchtower, July 15th, 2011, page 24. We need to obey the faithful and discreet slave to have Jehovah's approval. Watchtower, July 15th, 2011, page 24. No love, no approval from Jehovah unless you obey these eight guys. Watchtower, August 1st, 2001, page 14. A mature Christian does not advocate or insist on personal opinions or harbor private ideas when it comes to Bible understanding. No, because we're clearly stupid, right? I added that. Back to quote, rather he has complete confidence in the truth as it is revealed by Jehovah God through his son, Jesus Christ, and the faithful and discreet slave. February 15th, 2009, page 27, quote, since Jehovah God and Jesus Christ completely trust the faithful and discreet slave, should we not do the same? February 15th, 1983, Watchtower. Jehovah is using only one organization today to accomplish his will. To receive everlasting life in the earthly paradise, we must identify that organization and serve God as part of it. Who leads that organization? Faithful this creates life. February 15th, 83, again, page 17, quote, Jehovah God used the Bible to be written in such a way that one needs to come in touch with his human channel before one can fully and accurately understand it. <laughs> True, we need the help of God's Holy Spirit, but help comes to us primarily by association with the channel Jehovah God sees fit to use. End quote. Watchtower, February 15th, 1983, page 17. I could go on for an hour with this kind of stuff because it fills the 
billions of pages of Jehovah's Witness literature. No one can understand the Bible. No one can have a relationship with God. No one can get everlasting life unless they're hanging out with the faithful discreet slave and obeying everything they say. We're going to get into that. One final one, July 1st, 1973, quote, Jehovah's organization alone in all the earth is directed by God's Holy Spirit or force. Talked about this in the last episode, God magic. Only this organization, let me back up, only this organization functions for Jehovah's purpose and to his praise. To it alone, God's sacred word, the Bible, is not a sealed book. The Bible is apparently sealed to everyone else, unless you're a Jehovah's Witness following the faithfulness great slave. There you have it, folks. There you have it. <laughs> it. It truly is the cornerstone of this religion, an authoritarian take by about eight guys, give or take, when one passes away, that are in upstate New York. We just saw some Jeff, Jeffrey Jackson at the Australian Commission lying his ass off on the stand. Just just lying. It was brutal to watch. And yet he claims he was chosen by Jesus Christ. Okay, so I digress. Let's get back to this now. They claim that, again, Jesus Christ was in the heavens and he was looking around. And he said, these, were, these are my guys. These are my guys. Look at them. So faithful, so amazing, so filled with truth. Wouldn't you agree that with that kind of a claim, it's important to go back to that moment and see, I wonder what Jesus saw. I wonder what he was looking at with these guys. Friends? God, I just said friends. <laughs> if you're laughing and cringing out there, you know what that means. Friends. <laughs> I've got some for you. I've got a small collection of the type of wisdom that Holy Spirit, Jesus himself, and the faithful and discreet slave were dispensing at the proper time. Remember that parable that, that went full prophecy among these people. Are you ready for some examples? I repeat myself a lot, but I'm going to say it again. Keep in mind that at this point, they claim Jesus was looking around and said, here's my guys. What wisdom they're dispensing. What love. <laughs> Let's take a look at some examples. And yep, I'm going full quotes on some of this stuff. And again, if you're listening strictly for entertainment or it's fun, I love you. Thank you. Uh, it certainly makes me laugh. Uh, if you're listening to someone who's concerned and hurting, I'm sorry. I hope that you will take the time to not take my word for it on this podcast, but you will go seek this literature out. It's yours. No one else made this. This is ordained by Jesus, remember. I hope you will take that time to study and do this work for yourself. That's what this is all about. You can't come to any kind of peace or decisions in your life until you do it yourself. So here we go. Let's take a look at some examples of what Jesus saw when he was scoping out and he'd identified the faithful and discreet slave. Of course, it, it brings up a question, right? In Matthew 24, did he already know who he was going to pick when he was reeling off that parable? Who knows? So many questions. So many questions. Here we go. Did you know? Let's. I'm going to start to dispense some wisdom from the pages of the literature that the faithful and discreet slave was pumping out at the time. Okay? 
Did you know that vaccinations are evil? It's kind of timely, right? With what's going on in the world with COVID and whatnot. Vaccinations are from the devil. The Golden Age, which would soon become the Awake magazine, for those of us that grew up in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, we recognize the Awake magazine. You could probably see that font on the front page with the big exclamation point in your minds. The Golden Age, or the Awake rather, started out as the Golden Age. Here's some of that wisdom. Vax, quote, vaccinations never prevented anything and never will. It is the most barbarous practice. Use your rights as American citizens. Ah, neutrality went out the window for a minute there. I.e. participate politically. I got to back up and tell you that this is, in, this is in print. Use your rights as American citizens. For example, participate politically <laughs> to forever abolish the devilish practice of vaccination. Golden Age, October 12th, 1921, page 17. Please look it up. What's wrong with that quote if you've grown up as a Jehovah's Witness in the last 40 years? My God, uh, neutrality is a big deal. You, you can't even be a student body president in junior high school without uh, getting dragged to the B school for a conversation. Uh, but aside from the fact that they're encouraging getting involved with politics, apparently vaccinations are pure evil and are the, a devilish practice. <laughs> Do you know when this stuff started to go out the window, folks? It was about 20, 30 years later when members of the quote-unquote governing body had to start traveling overseas and they needed to start to be vaccinated. Suddenly, Satan wasn't involved anymore. They needed to get their shots so they could go all over the world. Here's another quote, Golden Age or Awake Magazine, February 4th, 1931. Are you noticing the dates? Page 293 to 4. Quite likely there is some connection between the violation of human blood, vaccines, and the spread of demonism, <laughs> sexual immorality. Vaccination has never saved a human life. It does not prevent smallpox. End quote. Golden Age, February 4th, 1931. This wise insight was kept until the 1950s, as I mentioned, when it became more and more necessary for these guys to travel all over the earth. Suddenly, the demons weren't involved anymore. There was no more satanic worship, and no one was having sex, apparently. <laughs> and vaccination suddenly, without question, Jesus gave the green light to these guys and said, yep, you can get a vaccination. Notice those quotes, 1921 and 1931. Timing, big deal. Big deal if you're Jehovah's Witness. Jesus, remember, in 1919 said, these are my guys. These are the most important people in the world. They're going to lead my people throughout all of eternity. By the way, they're going to judge everyone and decide who even gets to be there. <laughs> it just keeps getting better, and we're going to stay entertained. Here we go. Watchtower, January 15th, 1912. So a little, little before little before Jesus made his uh, made his decision, but apparently he was okay with this. This is part of what he went. I like that. I like that a lot. He says, quote, we give below a simple cure for appendicitis symptoms. The pain in the appendix region is caused by the biting of worms near the junction of the transverse colon with the small intestines, low down on the right side of the abdomen. 
This remedy is recommended also for typhoid fever, which is also a worm disease. (laughs) So they were able to identify appendicitis. And then after Jesus chose them in 1919, they came back with the cure for appendicitis. Golden Age, 1931, and again in 1934, December 19th, page 187, quote, appendicitis, take one ounce of elder blossom, peppermint, and yarrow, and simmer in three pints of water. Take a wine glass full every 15 minutes. Do not be afraid of the perspiration caused, or if you vomit, you will be better off with an empty stomach. (laughs) You can't make this stuff up. And aside from the sheer insanity of it and the entertainment value on a podcast, think back to this time period, folks. If you were someone that came into association with Jehovah's Witnesses at this point in your life, you were expected to believe this. We already read the fact that you couldn't question the faithful and discreet slave later to become the governing body. You couldn't question them. You'd be excommunicated. You'd be shunned. And not only were you to believe this, you were commanded to believe it as from Jesus himself, but you were then absolutely under command to go out and tell it to other people and look them in the eye and say, you better believe this or you're going to be dead at Armageddon. (laughs) It's stunning. If it wasn't so absurd, if you couldn't laugh at it, it's absolutely devastating because decades worth of people made spiritual decisions regarding their faith based on this shit. It's absolutely unbelievable. And the same mock authority, the same claim to authority exists today. Not only with the governing body, but as you can see, it's a trickle-down effect right into each and every congregation, every kingdom hall with the body of elders. Everything they say or do is gold. It's from Jesus himself by means of Holy Spirit, the force, God magic. And if you don't listen to it, not only are you a bad person, but you stand the risk of being kicked out and kicked away from your family. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. More wisdom. Let's keep it rolling. Let's keep it rolling so you get a good idea. And again, if you're listening and you're a witness or you're contemplating this, please go look at this. It's in your literature and it'll probably be hard to find because they're hiding it. They're blatantly hiding this stuff now. They're hiding books I conducted book study in multiple times. And that was just 15 years ago. They're hiding them because of this stuff and people's ability to access it. Here we go. Are you ready? This one is specifically for the women who may have been associated with Jehovah's Witnesses. I got three good ones for you uh, just to keep the ball rolling here. The Awake Magazine, August 22nd, 1967. I was a whopping eight days old when this brand new light hit the pages. Page 2728, August 26, 67 Awake. Quote, however, the facts show that the headship of a man is both somatically and psychologically sound and in the best interests of all concerned, even as we shall see. Thus, a leading authority on the human body, Soma, Gray's Anatomy, 1966 edition, not the show, 
tells the interesting fact that as regards the human skull, (laughs) there is no difference between the male and female until the time of puberty. But then as adulthood is reached, the difference becomes more and more apparent. The female skull is lighter and its cranial capacity is about 10% smaller than that of a male, even as is the rest of the anatomy. The contour of the female skull is also more rounded and the facial bones are smoother. Apparently, with the lines of beauty, goes less rugged strength. (laughs) I'm sorry, it's unbelievable. Awake of 1973, March 22nd, pages 13 and 14. Quote, but in chess, you have to be a fighter. And of necessity, I became one. This helps to explain why there are no top flight women chess players. (laughs) Watchtower, September 15th, 1941, page 287. Quote, in the kingdom, the great multitude will look to the Lord to guide us as to selecting each a mate for himself. Why then should a man who has the prospect before him of being of the great multitude now tie himself to a stack of bones and a hank of hair? (laughs) Folks, that was Jesus' right-hand guy. Judge Joe Rutherford at a district convention calling women a stack of bones and a hank of hair. Wait till paradise when you can get a real babe. (laughs) Is this not unbelievable? Joseph Rutherford, who claims, again, to be part of the faithful and discreet slave, taking absolutely misogynistic and just obscene language towards women, who, by the way, make up the vast majority of Jehovah's Witnesses and do the vast majority of the heavy lifting with the preaching work. It's mind-numbing to think what women have gone through. Most of them, maybe most is too strong. Some of them never marrying, many of them never having children, sacrificing themselves for this ass. Because, you know, after all, he's in heaven now, looking down on them after calling them a, a bag of bones and a hank of hair. Nice. Again, Jesus chose these guys, right? One of my favorites uh, I have to bring out because it's so mind-boggling, just uh, a short seven years after Jesus decided these were his people, as they claim. In the Golden Age, again, Awake Magazine, April 7th, 1926, page 438. And I want to just put a disclaimer, please, please, please never, ever follow this. The faithful slave dispensed this wisdom, quote, if any overzealous doctor condemns your tonsils, go and commit suicide with a case knife. It's cheaper and less painful. End quote. Golden Age, April 7th, 1926, page 438. I pause because it just blows the mind. Not only is it absurdly stupid in reference to our tonsils, I had them out at five, but encouraging someone to kill themselves with a knife? Again, if you're just listening to this and you're a Jehovah's Witness, keep in mind as you sit in that kingdom hall, albeit decades later after this issue came out, you're still dealing with people that claim Jesus saw this stuff and thought they were the best folks on earth. And then seven years after choosing them, he's green lighting this kind of advice. 
Come on. Come on. Golden Age, September 13th, 1933, page 777. Quote, the earlier in the forenoon you take the sun bath, the greater will be the beneficial effect because you get more of the ultraviolet rays, which are healing. <laughs> Skin cancer be damned. Jesus decided these were his guys. It's this type of stuff. And I mean to tell you, I could go on for hours from the pages of the Watchtower, Awake, Golden Age, all of them. Some of the most mind-naming shit you've ever heard in your life. From pyramids, one day they're, the, they're a sign from God, the next they're a sign from Satan. They have the cure to cancer. Not kidding. Not kidding. Watchtower, July 1913, page 200. The Golden Age, February 6, 1929, both claim to have the cure for cancer and even give a recipe for it. But maybe you'd like one that you'll really, really enjoy just to kind of close out what could be hours long of laughing at their inspiration, so to speak. This too is one of the most hilarious things I have ever seen in all of the literature. Here we go. Quote from the Golden Age, November 28th, pages 136 through 137. A good eight, nine years, and Jesus decided to green light this wisdom from heaven. Quote, what the people need more than food is faith in God and a set of active bowels, which means a healthy brain. Up until now, he has been poisoned, stupefied, clogged, and hampered by the devil. God, Satan causes constipation, people. Quote, he has been a slave to politicians, wholesale food magnets, preachers, railroads, bad cooks. Wow, look out for the bad cooks. Worse doctors, an abnormal appetite, greedy undertakers. And look at this. And I quote, aluminum cooking utensils. <laughs> Golden Age, November 1928, pages 136 and 137. Jesus, green lighting some good stuff. But it gets better. The Golden Age, July 25th. 1968, I'm a year old when this wisdom hits, if, quote, if 10,000 doctors swore on 10,000 Bibles that aluminum wear is harmless to human beings, I would not believe them. <laughs> so look, Jehovah and Jesus are very concerned with us being clogged up. <laughs> and they are very concerned about bad cooks, uh, Preachers, doctors, and my God, tinfoil sends the whole thing sideways. Thank you, faithful and discreet slave. Thank you. Folks, the reason I share this stuff, and this is stuff that you might even say falls on the mildly amusing side, but make no mistake, there is stuff in that literature that is deadly. There's stuff in that literature that... And I'm not just talking about blood transfusions and your ability to take components, but just not blood. What? I'm talking about things like how you discipline your children, where you live, if you decide to have a family or not. It, it's literally insane. 
and it's deadly and it's dangerous. And you're, I know what you're thinking. If you're somebody that's, that's really skeptical, you're thinking, well, look, Stacy, come on now that that stuff's old. That's old light. Trust me. We're going to have the longest episode ever on this subject of new light. <laughs> it's coming. I'm ramping up for that. It, and while you might be correct that some of this stuff is older, I mentioned stuff all the way back from the early 1913 all the way up to the 1960s, the 1970s. Folks, time does not even permit me, or at least in this episode, I'm going to have another one to talk about the dangers of stuff that was going on in the 70s and 80s. Stuff regarding blood. Stuff regarding organ transplants that by months were changed. One person refused it, died months later. Suddenly, Jesus greenlit the governing body to say it was, eh, it was okay after all, but your loved one's gone and dead. This is the kind of shocking, repulsive stuff that should catch the, the eye of anyone that certainly for those of us that are out of Jehovah's Witnesses, many of you listening may even be aware of some of this. And trust me, I've got more. We've got more episodes ahead on this. If you would like, let me know. <laughs> but for those that are listening and, and you're thinking about this, just please keep in mind the claim from the parable. Yes, it's a parable. It's not even a prophecy. So the whole thing's just bad right there. It's not a prophecy. It's a parable. But if you want to believe it's a prophecy, keep in mind that the claim is in 1919, Jesus Christ, creator of the universe under his father's watchful eye, creator of human beings, DNA, outer space, the Milky Way, microbiology, every animal you've ever known and seen. That guy was greenlighting this type of advice to the people that he handpicked in all the earth. Come on now. Please. Take some time to really give that some thought. Outside of the insanity of it, just please, please give it some thought. As we close, as regards this issue of a faithful and discreet slave, this I promised in my first episode I'm going to go into the, my childlike mind and the, some of the thoughts I've had since the early 70s as a young boy listening at meetings. As you go into this issue of the faithful and discreet slave, you begin to see that it's completely fabricated. It's nonsense. It's men. It's a cult. I'm going to blatantly say it. They're demanding loyalty and strict obedience, not to a God, if you believe in God, but to them. It's an absolute fact that these verses in Matthew 24 are a parable and in no way, shape, or form a prophecy especially not a prophecy about a publishing organization in the 20th and 21st century. In the end, as a boy, I always thought there was an overwhelming amount of irony in the use of the phrase discreet slave. Consider for a minute as we close what it means to be discreet. Okay, again, it's a parable. Put that aside. Let's hone in. Discreet. A couple of definitions to consider. The American Heritage Dictionary of the English Language, 4th edition. Discreet, marked by exercising or showing prudence and wise self-restraint in speech, behavior, circumcent, free from ostentation or pretension, modest. Hmm. Random House, 
Kernerman's Webster's College Dictionary, 2010, judicious in one's conduct or speech with regard to keeping silent about a delicate matter. Kernerman English Multilingual Dictionary, 2006 to 2013, discreet defined as wise, cautious, and not saying anything which might cause trouble. Friends, oh God, I said friends. Somebody kicked me. Ah, <laughs> oh, friends. I can't believe it came out of my mouth. Folks, as you read through some of these quotes that spanned five, six, seven decades, really ask yourself some of the key questions to this. Okay? Once again, the entire premise of Jehovah's Witnesses is flawed because it is based on Matthew 24, 45 through 47, which is a parable, not a prophecy. Jehovah's Witnesses, most specifically the governing body, have taken a story, an illustration, and created an absurd foundation for their entire religion. But putting that completely aside for a minute, let's just look at what this means in terms of being discreet. Okay, let's say you're like, ah, come on, Stacey, I've been listening, and I, I, those things don't exist. That stuff you read isn't in the literature. Please know it is. I can't make that up. It's there. It's in print. You can find it. You're going to have to work because they've hit it. It's hard to find some of this old stuff now, even going back 15 years. Insight books are obsolete. My God. But ask yourself the following questions, okay? In light of the definitions of just the discreet and slain, just using those words, toss out everything you've heard. Ask yourself this. Does a discreet organization judge other people, religions, or institutions? Go ahead and look in the New World Translation at Matthew 7, 1 through 5, Luke 6, 37, James 4, 12. Does a discreet organization judge other people? Second question, does a discreet organization distribute millions and millions and billions of pages of false information to literally millions of people claiming it has God's blessing, that God is directing them, that Jesus greenlit this stuff, and then change it later after people's lives have been damaged and affected? Question three, does a discreet organization claim it alone is the channel by which God communicates with mankind? How did that go? A text message? What? Number four, does a discreet organization go beyond the things written? 1 Corinthians 4, 6, for you Bible lovers. By telling its members how to live, apply medicine, have sex, educate themselves, dress, groom, shave, what to watch on TV, who to associate with, when the Bible is completely silent on all of that, it tells you to use your brain? (laughs) And finally, does a discreet slave subject others to public discipline, discipline and a lifetime of shunning from family and friends just because you don't agree with their opinion? On matters the Bible is silent on? On matters that according to the same discreet slave will change their mind on within months at times? Is that discreet? It's insane. And it it literally just gives pause and just makes you want to bang your head against a wall to think of all the wonderful and beautiful people, the lost potential 
the people who've lost families, who haven't had children or grandchildren, who've ended marriages, the insane amount of damage this quote-unquote discreet slave has done to the lives of other people truly, truly is defined by one word, evil. It's evil. Every week, Jehovah's Witnesses get their people, now it's on Zoom <laughs> in a lot of cases, but they're going back to Kingdom Halls now at the time of this recording. They're, they're dragging people back in there and they're pounding this stuff into their brains. We are God's one channel. We always have been since 1919. Jesus said, there's my guys. Everything we say is golden. And if you disagree with all of this, in conclusion, you disagree with all of this and you say, ah, come on, man. Uh, then I just ask you this because you know, if you're a Jehovah's Witness or someone who's associated that, hey, a lot of things have changed in a short period of time. Okay. Let me ask you the question that this guy as a young boy and as a teenager, and then as an elder doing this myself, ah, therapy's a good thing. This is the question I always asked myself, and I will ask anyone listening that isn't uh, already out and enjoying a better life. And this is the question. With all of these changes and all this new light, and I'm going to bring this up several times on this podcast, with all of these things, it's in print. It's okay to get your tonsils out. Please don't kill yourself. They do not have the cure for cancer. Okay. Women are incredible creatures, every bit as great, awesome, equal, strong, and intelligent as any man. I think you would agree with that, but this is what your, your faithful slave popped out. So here's my question in conclusion. If all of this has changed and you just think I'm being critical or that I'm just reading the juicy stuff, let me ask you this. Are you not responsible? Is not your whole reason on this earth right now to save lives, to save all the rest of us from Armageddon. If all of those people during all of these decades saw, read, and heard this nonsense at their doors or at a convention or at a kingdom hall, and it has changed, what are you doing to go back and find each and every stray sheep? Because Jesus would lead the whole flock to track down one. Each and every person that heard this old information and based their decision to not be a Jehovah's Witness because they thought it was nuts. Most people will. <laughs> that they, what are you doing to go back and fix it? You're responsible for that person's life, for their decisions. You taught them BS. Despite the fact that you're being spoon-fed week after week after week that Jesus greenlit this wisdom from heaven through the governing body of Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm going to leave you with that thought. I don't have much else to say. If I'm wrong and all of this is wrong and you don't want to do the study, which is 90% of Jehovah's Witnesses, I'll say it. I'll be blunt. And I'll take every comment on YouTube or the other podcast hosts. Please send me a note. My experience in my life, 90% did not study, 5% to study the literature real good. The other 5% studied and left. <laughs> That's my experience. But if you go and you find this is true, what are you doing to fix it? 
we'll have a whole episode on blood guilt because you can see uh, Tony Morris, what a delightful guy he is, on the governing body in recent district convention talks. They're everywhere, folks. They're all over the internet. They're on JW.org, where he talks about people not going out in service as being blood guilty. So if you're going out in service and telling old news or these people from these decades got old news, what are you doing to fix it? Folks, that is where I will stop. I felt almost like a rant this week. I felt like this was almost a rant, but uh, this is one of those subjects that I was long intrigued with as a kid. And I know that when I made my journey out after being removed as an elder and I stuck around for another two to three years, very covertly studying, traveling the world, visiting grave sites, looking at financial records, last will and testaments, I dug in deep. And this was always probably the primary issue outside of a couple others I'll, I'll share in, in a future episode as to what literally would just have me laying in bed, staring at the ceiling at night, how and why. And then of course you have to deal with the emotion that you bit off on it, that you believed it, that you wasted even five seconds of your life, much less decades, believing that these guys in New York were chosen by Jesus himself to dispense this kind of stuff. So, I leave you with that, uh, and, and I say only briefly that I am a survivor of spiritual paradise, as is the namesake of this show, Surviving Paradise, and you can be too. Please, I encourage anybody listening, and for those of my friends like me that are out and will always be fascinated with this just like I am, uh, thank you for listening. I truly appreciate all the great DMs messages and comments I'm getting on YouTube, on the social media sites. Absolutely fantastic. I can't wait to move into a format where I'm bringing some of you on, where we can talk about some fun stuff like chasing cheese danishes at the circuit assembly before they were all gone and having to settle for apple danishes. God, that was brutal. <laughs> so thank you for joining me this week. Please do leave me the comments, like, subscribe on YouTube, or follow me on all the major podcast hosting sites. I thank you to all my fellow mentally diseased apostates who are enjoying a good life. And for those that need comfort, lots and lots of love today and every day. So thank you once again for taking in this episode of Surviving Paradise, and we will see you next week.